start our time in God's word with a question. Not to your neighbor. Sometimes we do that. This one you can just keep in here. Do you feel like a powerful person? As you go through the storms of life and follow Jesus, are you increasingly feeling like a powerful person? That when life gets hard, The fruit that comes out of you is better than last year and better than the year before and better than the year before. And what's come, what's happening in you is like, wow, God is making me into a powerful person. That's what was happening in the life of Paul. It's what happened. It's what happened. It's what he is wanting to see happen in the Colossians. And it is 100% God's desire and will for us. And that's what we're going to read in this chapter 3 of Colossians. A little bit of the context that makes it very, very interesting is Paul is writing all of this stuff from prison. So if you talk about getting squeezed and what's coming out of you when you get squeezed, what kind of fruit is being produced when life gets hard? Paul has one of the most powerful, intriguing, beautiful testimonies that you can find. From just a a genuine human, like we've said, you can't look at these people in the Bible like superheroes because they're just normal people that have encountered a super God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever and is available to you just like he was available to them. They don't have access to God in any way greater than you or I. So when we see these astounding testimonies like Paul, who's writing about the greatness of joy and gratitude he has while in the middle of unjust unjustly being put in prison, it should perk us up a little bit of like, wow, that's a powerful person. And now he's going to write some of those secrets of power, if you will, to the Colossian church and how they too can live a kind of life where they become powerful people in Christ. So let's read chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and put a little bit of a filter on it. A lens. As we read this, look at the type of powerful people or powerful person that Paul is saying you can be in Christ. These are just normal people. Remember, the Colossians weren't any more special than we are, just like Paul is any any more of a special person than, than you or I. We all have the same access to Jesus. And that makes us special and powerful. And so listen to this passage and the real invitation that Paul brings to them and to us to be powerful people. Colossians 3, 1 to 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's good news, yeah. (laughs) A little whoop, yeah. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, Impurity, 
passions, bad kind of passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Looking at someone else's life, in other words, and being like, oh man, they got it easy or good. Wah. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, the, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has also forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be grateful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him what a powerful people Paul describes a people that is put away or that Paul is saying they can put away all of this old stuff, this old life, this junk that just causes so many problems for ourselves and others. A people that has put on all sorts of new things, new way of thinking, new way of acting, new way of living in the world. And if you slow down and, and think about some of the contrast that he's making, you come away like, these, th this is powerful. To actually live this out, you will be, you are a powerful person. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. You can't see it like that. We'll get to it in a minute. This is an invitation and a challenge into being the person that you are in Christ. It's about becoming the powerful person, a powerful people that Christ died for you to be. And if you break down and, and, and even just put it in our world and you think about, you know, the year we've had, the challenging year as a, as a country, as a nation, as a world in 2020. And if you just made a list of what type of fruit was coming out of the average person, you know, which, which side of it were you on here? Or which list would you say, you know, that was more me last year or this was more me? He's got these different 
character attributes of when challenging times come, what comes out of you? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful passions, evil desires, envying others, covetousness, which is an idolatry. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. That comes out of us, does it not? I'm sure we could all say, mm, one of those, you know, may have come out of me last year at one moment. Two seconds after I woke up. <laughs> and I'm just getting started. Versus this other picture, this other way of life, compassion, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes, feeling where people are coming from, that that's your gut reaction, not judgment, but compassion, that I want to feel what you feel before I make any thoughts or judgments or conclusions about you. That's compassion. It's a gut level of I'm going to try to walk in your shoes for a moment and care about you. Kindness, humility, meekness. That's power under control, by the way. It's a picture of a, of a horse that has a bitten bridle in its mouth, and it's basically a, a stallion, can exert all sorts of energy ah, and go nowhere. So this is a picture of we have surrendered to the Lord and said, lead me and guide me under your good care. So it's a power under the control and direction of God. You can be really powerful and be a total idiot. This meekness is the picture of, so give it over to the Lord. Let him take the strength and power that he's created you for and put it in the right direction. Patience. We'll skip that one. Bearing with one another. If, if you have a complaint against someone else, let them have it. Oh, whoops, that was the other list. Forgiving one another. If you have a complaint, when you have a complaint, forgive. Now, it doesn't say there's other, many other passages that talk about, yeah, you can also speak the truth in love and be honest and be real and you got an issue, go to one another, work it out, talk about it. But the bottom line heart is you're going to come with a heart to forgive, not condemn. Why? Well, because that's what God did for you in case you forgot. We're not all about judgment here. <laughs> that's bad news for everybody. So we want to extend the same kind of mercy that was shown to us. It's a new kind of way of life. Of all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he goes, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful. <laughs> he finishes it three times in a row. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving. That's the posture of life. If you're a Christian, you won, okay? It doesn't matter what happens between now and, and when you die. You already won. You won, and it's coming. Your victory is just getting closer every day, your ultimate victory. So therefore, we have the posture, no matter what's going on, of gratitude. That's what he says three times in a row. So I, this is really attractive. This, this is powerful, people, because you know the first and the second list. The first list comes in your worst moments. There's, there's nothing that, that is, is a true strength about them. There's nothing that shows good character. It's just weakness. It's our own weakness that just comes forth and all that, that first list of all that junk doesn't take any type of strength. It's just kind of the, 
the base level of brokenness that uh, comes out of us. And in contrast, he's saying, no, I want, God wants to make you into a powerful person that can live out things that you know and can feel are impossible on your own strength. And so he's got good news. Let's make really clear from the beginning, this is not at all supposed to be a list of rules and regulations of do's and don'ts that you've just got to, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and work really hard to do this on your own strength so you can be a good religious person. And how do I know this? Well, because in chapter two, he literally addresses it with some fire. We just read it. Chapter two, verses 20. If you died with, if, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to rules and regulations? It's the same word in Greek. Why do you submit to all these rules of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And then he goes on to talk in chapter 3. What does it look like? The indulgence of the flesh, that old way of life. And he specifically has just said, rules and regulations have no power to get rid of that stuff. So if you want to get rid of that stuff, it's not the rules and regulations. It's this new thing he's about to talk about, this new way of life in Christ, where you can actually become a true powerful person. It is transformed. Listen to that language. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This old way of life, the stuff that happens in all of us and we hate it, but it's there. He's saying there is no power to transform you in just following rules and regulations and being that kind of religious person. There is a source that can transform you into a powerful person. It's not that stuff. And he's about to get into it. So if it's not rules and regulations, what is, he, what is he trying to get at here? Chapter 3. What is he going after? One way I like to look at it is it, he's inviting us into a world of potential. The world that is possible in Christ. In you. The power-filled potential that you can live into in this life in Christ. He mentions nothing of heaven here. He's talking about the transformation of fruit in your life right now that is available to you, that is yours in Christ. In fact, I would say it's not available. It is, but that's where this paradox comes is because Paul goes further than that. He challenges us. The way that the language is used is a challenge to live into something Live into this new, powerful way of life that's actually already yours in Christ. It's already yours. It's already in you. Some very interesting language. Listen to the clear tension between the past and the present that Paul uses. And even, even the future that he's calling us to grab hold of. Chapter 3, verse 1. You have been raised, past tense, you have been raised with Christ. So, if you're a believer in Christ, you are already raised with Christ. 
It says it right here. You have been raised with Christ, so then seek the things that are above. Because you've already been raised with Christ through faith, you now are called to seek that heavenly reality and grab hold of it. Moving on, verses 3 and 5. You have died. You have died to this old way of life. Now here comes the paradoxes. Verse 5, so put to death. See how that's uh, it's a little weird? You have died, so put to death. It's like you got a little zombie inside you. It's like a little half-dead guy. But Paul's kind of painting the picture there. You've died, so put it to death. Verse 8 and 9. So you must put away... The old self. And then verse 9, since you have put off the old self. So you've already put off the old self, so put it away. And then verse 10 and 12. You have put on the new self. Verse 12. Put on then. (laughs) And then he lists all these awesome character attributes. So since you've already put on the new self, put it on. This is very interesting language, right? He's going from the past tense to the present tense to the future over and over, and this is not simply a grammatical issue at all. This is a theological issue. This is a who is God, who am I in God's eyes, who am I in Christ? This is an everyday life. This is if you want to become a powerful person issue, you've got to understand this. In the grammar here, Paul's putting forth a major truth which is that what's already yours in Christ, what's done, what's in the past, which is very important that he notes that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 1. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You are raised up with Christ, so seek the things above, and Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? That, that's a cultural picture of it's done. Christ sat down. He completed his action and he sat down. It's done. So Paul is saying what is already yours in Christ, what Christ has accomplished, what's done in the past tense, you have the responsibility to walk out. You have the privilege to live into. This is one of those interesting tensions in the Bible that I love because it speaks to our responsibility and our privilege, what you might call that authentic relationship with God. It's a real relationship, man. It really is. Just like any relationship in your life, there are some major parallels. There's very, there's very clear reasons why God uses all these images of relationships that we understand to describe your existence with God. It's primarily relational. It's why God describes things about all throughout the Bible. There's, it's these relational terms. God is father. We are children. There's, this, there's marriage analogies. God's described in Isaiah 66 as a mother who bounces us on her knee in heaven. It's that nurturing care. It's, it's, there's friend analogies. God is king. God is warrior. There's all these relational pictures that we understand 
Because the whole point of the Bible is saying God wants to be in relationship with you. That's what you're made for. And he set it up pretty well. You get the joy, he gets the glory. It's a good gig. (laughs) Yeah, it's good news. So this passage is speaking to, so what's our part in the relationship with God? So these passages speak to, as we've put our faith in Christ, it's not done, it's not over, it's not thanks for my little ticket to heaven that's punched, and now I'll just kind of cruise along. If you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to flounder. There's no cruising, because the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What's, what is his number one target? He looks for Christians on cruise control. Easy target. So these passages speak to our responsibility. That if it, reality, if we sit back and, and just kind of do nothing, expect God to just do all this magical stuff, we will not see God's power, God's presence, the transformation that's possible in us to become these type of powerful Christ-like people that Christ died for. He, he died so that that could happen in us, in this life, in growing measure. We'll see it at the end. If that's too much good news for you. In fact, he goes as far to really show in this passage that if we choose not to prioritize our relationship with God, how we're made to, then dangerous stuff, bad stuff can happen. Like he says in chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by lies. That's, in my opinion, one of the primary tactics of the enemy of your soul is to deceive, to deceive you, just to to get you to believe something wrong about you and God. Because we live from our beliefs. So if we're believing lies and waking up in the morning and believing lies about what's not possible in our life or about who, what God doesn't want to do or who we are not in Christ, if we can get taken captive, which is a crazy word for Paul to say, of Christians, Christians can get taken captive by lies if they're not aware. As Paul's saying, be sober, be aware, be careful. Don't let anyone take you captive. So how do we make sure we're not? Well, this is it right here. Paul's getting into it. It's that your responsibility and privilege to seek God in this way, to prioritize your relationship with him so that you're not taken captive and so that you become this powerful person that God wants you to be for your joy and his glory. So let's let's look back here for a moment because he actually begins this whole thought process in chapter 2, verse 6, and we'll just go there real quick. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk. So there's the past tense to the future. As you received Christ, with all that good news about who he is, those promises of who he is in your life, who you are in Christ, the transformation that's possible, the kingdom of God breaking in again and again and again. Live it out. So walk. 
That word walk is live, as I mentioned last week. It's where we kind of get the, maybe the phrase of like, hey, how's your walk with God? It's this ongoing life with God. So this, this word here is a good one. How are you living? Are you living into the reality of what is already yours in Christ? If you go on in, in chapter 2, verse 6, he, man, he, let's just, real quick, let's go for it. So good. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk. And we'll jump down to verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily as, listen to the past tense and future tense. Let's just see it again. As you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without human hands, circumcision of the heart, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in, baptize, in, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So there's the list. <laughs> there's the do's and don'ts. There's the be perfect in holiness. And guess who did it? So you don't have to because you can't. It was Christ. So he set aside these legal demands, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is talking about spiritual warfare now. He disarmed them, past tense, past tense. They are disarmed. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So, real quick again, past tense to so grab a hold of it. What you received, so walk in it. You have been filled. You have been circumcised in the heart. You have been buried with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You were dead. Now you are alive. And he disarmed the work and power of the enemy coming against you. Therefore, and he goes into chapter 3, because of all that good news, therefore you now have the opportunity, the privilege, the responsibility to step into a new self that's already yours in Christ because of what he's already done. And you're already living in it, he says, but live in it more. Keep going. Grab hold of more of what Christ has already made real in the heavenlies for you. It's already yours in Christ. So step into it. More. And more. And more. So how do we do that? He says right there in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the earth. So... Set your minds. That phrase, one of my favorites that Paul uses, it uses it in other places as well. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, that famous passage where he talks about if anything is good, praiseworthy, noble, etc., set your minds on these things. The literal translation is let your mind or put your mind to dwell, to live. So it's about where we are choosing in our 
amazing free will that God has given us because he wants real relationship, where are we training our minds? Where are we choosing to put our minds so this is where they live? Because where they live is the life that's going to come out of you. And so he's encouraging us to live from the reality of what Christ has already done. What, one, one practical way to, to get into that world of potential here in, in our minds where he's saying, set your minds on these heavenly realities of Christ, what he's already done, who he's made you to be. It speaks to that reality of, of our minds are just this incredible tool in life with God for better or for worse. Very practical example. If you set your mind on a sin and you take it on as your identity, your permanent character, your besetting sin, guess what's going to happen? It will be your besetting sin. See, there's there's a, a declaration of defeat that can happen if we take any struggle that we have and we just, in a weird way, kind of make this symbiotic agreement with it that, oh, it's just part of the struggle that I'm going to have until I die. Where does it say that in the Bible? I'll help you. Nowhere. It only talks about lists of stuff that does come out of us in our brokenness and then gives new lists of the way that we can be transformed and become powerful people in Christ. Even to the point where Paul says in Romans 7 that when I sin now, it is no longer I who sin, but it's sin living in me. Do you see how he, he distances himself? He's like, Get, that's not even me anymore. Get away from me. You know, some of us, I kind of, you know, like, uh, <laughs> to my favorite friend in here who loves Marvel movies, there's this cool Marvel movie named uh, Venom, all right? where this alien substance gets in him, and it's at, it's at first it's an enemy, and then he becomes friends with it, and this is really weird thing. And it's funny, it actually comes out funny, but we do that in real life with sin, do we not? Where it's kind of like we've like accepted, ah, it's just there, and so I'm going to kind of like, okay, you and me, we're kind of like together, we're kind of like, you know, that's part of my identity. Where you can even hear people, like saying, like, well, this, this is my struggle. Be really careful with that. Or this is my besetting sin. Or this is, it, uh, what gets me concerned is it takes to the point, instead of, I have struggled with this, it's not your identity before God. If you declare it to be, it will be. If you declare, I'm always going to struggle with this, you probably will. But it's just, there's no, there's permission. Here's the good news. There's permission in the Bible that you don't have to just say, and you don't have to just own that. There's no place in the New Testament that says you just have to own it. There is one particular sin or two or three or ten that you just have no hope of overcoming in this life. That is not a biblical picture of Christ in you. So it's good news. It just says in, in Christ... I can overcome whatever I've struggled with. And, and, and to make a mental agreement otherwise is a declaration of defeat. And it will be a self-fulfilling fulfilling prophecy. So you'll reinforce the, the lie that's there. 
But if you look, Paul's saying that that's, that's not allowed. It's put your eyes on the new you, what's already yours in Christ, what's possible, what he died on the cross for, which is to transform us from one degree of glory to another. And that's probably a, a, a key of this whole entire thing is to know that this is a process. This is a journey. Listen to chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. In these things you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a good picture of the reality of this whole issue. It's a journey. It's a process. We're not pretending that Paul says, oh, as long as you think about an attribute of Christ, like patience or meekness or humility or forgiveness, that automatically just, boom, you wake up and now that's all you perfectly. The New Testament here and many other places encourages us that this is our reality in Christ. It's ours in Christ. So prioritize your relationship with God. Seek him and this stuff will more and more come out of you. You will be transformed. I mean, 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of our favorite passages. As you behold Christ, as you get to know Christ, you see his beauty, you see his glory, you see his majesty, as he satisfies your soul, as last week's really whole message on being Christ-centered, and the first week, which was the greatness of Christ, that's really the solution. As we fix our minds, our hearts, our affections on Christ, and he becomes our treasure, he becomes our leader, he becomes our foundation, he becomes our strength that builds us up, all of these Christ-centered postures, and we get filled up with who he is and worship comes out of us, we will be transformed. As he becomes our treasure, his character becomes our reality. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says the exact same thing. As you behold Christ, you will be transformed to be like him from one degree of glory to another. That's great news, but it's also a journey right here. Like it says, the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator is being renewed. So there's the good news that there is grace for the journey. Is being renewed. This is where this is the invitation that I hear from Paul. Do you want this life? You want to become that powerful person? You want more of that fruit to come out of you? Get on the journey. Is being renewed. You are being renewed. This is not a one and done. This is you are being renewed. Listen to even the tension in there. In these things you once walked when you were living in them, but now you, now you must put them away, seeing that you have put off the old self. So you once walked in them. You now must put them away because you have put them off. That's a struggle. 
There's the realities of what God has done. You have put them off. You once walked in them, so put them away. Feel the tension there? It's supposed to be the tension. What does that all say? It's a real relationship. It's a journey. And as you choose these things, as you choose to follow Christ in this way and know that this is his will for your life, not to just simply be stuck and struggling, but to be transformed from one degree of glory to another as he becomes your treasure and as you see him for all of who he's worth, the beauty, the power, the majesty, etc. What happens? You will be renewed. You are being renewed. You will be being renewed. It's this ongoing, the good news. God's not done with me yet. And I don't have to have it all together. That's not the point. It's I get to pursue him and I get to be transformed to be more like him. I'm already covered, like it said in there. I've already been forgiven. In fact, I'm supposed to forgive others because I've already been forgiven. And then chapter 2 says, you know, he canceled the debt. He took it to the cross. He did it himself. So this is nothing about earning salvation. He took care of it all. So you've received that. And now it's about walking into everything that he's purchased on the cross for you, this new life, in this life. It's good news. Let's close with one tiny little picture here. Maybe a simple picture. To ultimately do this, renewing our minds so we're not believing lies about what's not possible, fixing our heart, our mind, our affections on Christ as our treasure, as our source of strength, as our foundation, as our leader, all that Christ-centered worship of God that we've talked about the last two weeks. And then in this last portion of the of the chapter he closes and says so whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father whatever you do in everything you do in everything that that means everything (laughs) word or deed in the name of the lord jesus that that gets missed by us because it's often it's become like a, like the end of a prayer in Jesus name it's way more than that suffice it to say it's a radical declaration of dependence on a source of power outside of you to say I'm waking up in the morning do I have hope for a, anything good today in the name of Jesus I put my feet on the ground. In the name of Jesus, I say thank you for the opportunities that I have. In the name of Jesus, I say whatever challenges are coming my way, you're going to meet my friend Jesus. <laughs> it's like whatever you do in word or deed, in the name of Jesus. So it's this childlike, beautiful dependence on God in everything. And that's where this is the journey. Because no one in this room is dependent on God in everything. Our default is, that's going back to the Garden of Eden, the default is, no thanks God, I got this one. And so the journey of life is that journey into greater, powerful dependence on God. So he gets all the glory and we get the transformation.
Let's, let's, let's pray and we'll close our time. Sing a new song.